This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to break down more important trends, topics, technologies, and everything in between impacting the broader energy industry and, of course, the oil and gas industry as well. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and I want to make sure that you're pointed in the right direction for more opportune content as we break down today's topic. So make sure you're going to opportune.com for uh, the supplemental article that's informing today's conversation, which I'll reveal here in a second, but also for more content from the team. That includes episodes of the podcast, but also other articles, videos, research, white papers, you name it. You can also find E2B on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new episodes. So on today's episode of E2B, we're going to be talking Bitcoin. So even if you don't follow Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies uh, more generally, uh, or even the blockchain more generally, um, it was hard to miss the news over the last several weeks of crypto's crash. What we're seeing is that the value of cryptocurrency is proving quite mercurial, right? It spikes, it plummets, it spikes again, it plummets again, and often in very dramatic fashion in the matter of weeks or even days. And all that instability uh, still has a lot of interest and a lot of folks saying, no, cryptocurrency, you shouldn't lose faith. It is still the future, and this is just growing pains. So as we maneuver some of this ebb and flow in the value of cryptocurrencies and debate what role it will play in the future, we wanted to pose the question of where should E&Ps and other players in the energy industries place some of their focus when considering cryptocurrencies, whether as a currency or as an industry, or even when they consider it as an industry that requires a lot of energy consumption. And we'll expand on all those topics here in a second. So to give us some insights for today's conversation, I'd like to introduce our two guests. We'll go ahead and go down the line. First up, Ryan Dushek. He's director at Opportune. Ryan, great to have you on. How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us on E2B. We're also joined today by Cooper Ligon. He's a consultant at Opportune. Cooper, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back on. I always enjoy uh, you know, getting the second and third timers on E2B. Um, but on Ryan's end, this is your first time on the show. So welcome. And I'm looking forward to uh, you know, picking both your brains on this topic and seeing how the two of you, uh, you know, approach your analysis on the role of Bitcoin and more generally cryptocurrencies in the larger industry. Uh, so we're expanding on an article that the two of you published on Opportune's website. It's titled, Why Renewable Energy Can't Survive Without Bitcoin. Uh, you can find that article in our insights tab on the opportune.com website. Just maneuver there and you will find the piece. We'll also backlink it in the description of the podcast and uh, in the corresponding article. But what I want to do is just get a chance to unpack 
some of what the two of you were trying to lay out with this article, and then we'll expand on several points. Uh, so, you know, it seems that there, again, isn't a shortage of headlines today about that ebb and flow of prices for Bitcoin and for all cryptocurrencies, um, but specifically for Bitcoin, which is the world's largest cryptocurrency. And this is having implications on the broader financial economy uh, and some of the fiscal stability of our nation and really the world. I'm wondering if you can give our audience who may not be super familiar with Bitcoin a brief overview of what Bitcoin is, right? And what cryptocurrency is more broadly and why it's all the rage today, right? Why is there such immense value being placed on cryptocurrencies currently? Yeah, well, first to answer kind of what is Bitcoin, Bitcoin released a white paper by its anonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009, I believe, where he said that Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash that allows online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. I think the white page or white uh, paper went on for 10, maybe 11 pages, but it kind of wrote out this whole theory of Bitcoin. And from there, Bitcoin was created. But I think what you were more asking about was how do you get Bitcoin? So there's a lot of ways to get it. Uh, you can receive it from another person as a payment, like the famous 10,000 Bitcoin pizza in 2010, uh, where they interviewed a guy who paid, I think at its peak, you know, $600 million or something for two large pizzas from Pizza Hut, but they were worth nothing back then. Uh, you can buy it on an exchange like Coinbase or what we're going to be more focused on in this podcast and what me and Ryan are trying to specialize in and get a better understanding about, which is the uh, Bitcoin mining. Uh, so again, a brief overview of Bitcoin mining. It's done with specialized computers that basically race against each other to guess a complex string of numbers. Uh, the winner is rewarded with a block of Bitcoin and that process, which is proof of work, a proof, proof of work uh, mechanism is uh, what creates the Bitcoin blockchain and then validates its transaction from other users. Um, again, as I'm sure we'll get into this later, this is where we've kind of seen a big influx and commercialization of massive Bitcoin mining facilities across the world, especially within Texas. Bitcoin itself is really unique because it's designed to be progressively more difficult to mine by using the halving system, which is where a block of Bitcoin or reward block of Bitcoin is cut in half after a certain number. Um, the most recent halving, I believe, was in May 2020, and it's giving 6.25 Bitcoin per block that's mined. What's cool about this feature is that it induces inflation for Bitcoin's price by obviously reducing the number of Bitcoins in circulation and increasing the demand for the finite amount of Bitcoin, which is 21 million. And because Bitcoin holds a significant value in the market, I think right now it's 21,000, but you know people are gonna hold on and they think it's gonna keep going up. These companies are optimizing their mines with top of line equipment, with ASIC miners and top of line, you know, HVAC systems to keep the computers cool. And then also they're going to the ends of the earth to try to find the cheapest energy that they can. And then I think your next question, what's, what's all the rage about? What makes it a uh, special? Why do people believe in this internet money? Uh, but the easiest way to kind of explain it to someone that doesn't truly understand it or have read into it, it's easy to compare it to the US dollar, which everyone's aware of. So similarly, both are intrinsically worthless meaning that they have no use apart from being a medium of exchange for goods and services. Uh, both are irredeemable, meaning that they aren't backed by an underlying, underlying asset. Uh, the USD used to be on the gold standard, meaning that every dollar printed, there was a dollar for the gold held up in Fort Knox, 
but now it's simply a promissory note. How the how Bitcoin and the dollar are different um, is that the government has a centralized control over the dollar, therefore it has control over its supply. While Bitcoin's big buzzword is that it's decentralized, meaning that there is no central authority controlling it. It's just a peer-to-peer exchange. Bitcoin supply is also pre-programmed, like we talked about. So there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin in circulation. Unlike the dollar that we've seen, there's inflation. They can just print however much they want. Um, And there's a predetermined trajectory with that halving system that contains the supply of Bitcoin. So theoretically, you know, some guy can't mine it all at once and own it all and therefore make it worthless. So I think, I think one that Bitcoin originally got interesting about was its level of financial privacy. Uh, it kind of has a darker past in that with purchasing power, but it allows synonymous digital transactions. And other than peer-to-peer exchanges with cash that we see today, uh, the dollar exchange requires a third party to facilitate facilitate that transaction, whether it be Bank of America, American Express, or even Venmo, all of those transactions are recorded, documented, and facilitated through middleman. And with Bitcoin, like Satoshi Nakamoto wrote, it's a peer-to-peer cash exchange. I was just going to say that I think for me, the the big value in in Bitcoin is it's really the kind of two things you touched on. It's really centralized uh, the whole blockchain. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that will build off of that in the future. Uh, they're obviously working on things now, but um, I think as we move forward, you'll see more and more of that. And the other one is just really the fixed supply. Um, I don't know anything else that has a fixed supply. So, you know, long term, this really is going to be the bet against inflation. I kind of honestly, I thought it, it would happen a lot sooner. Uh, it looks like it's still being treated as a. Um, basically like a tech stock or financial asset. But um, I feel like there's going to be a decoupling probably sooner rather than later. But uh, it may actually be in the, the next run up. Um, I, I, I am a believer. I, I do think it's going to it'll keep going for, for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've even seen different opportunities for Bitcoin to rise. But yeah, like we talked about, the volatility, I think, keeps a lot of people away from it. It makes it look like you said, like a tech stock or something like that. But the, the the blockchain technology that is being built built on top of it is, yeah, I agree, extremely, extremely interesting. You know, one of the most important connections that cryptocurrency has with the energy industry is just quite literally the energy spend that it takes to produce value for cryptocurrencies. Uh, the most common uh, method for providing value, like Cooper explained, is mining and mining requires a proof of work consensus mechanism. And proof of work means that to provide value, uh, several computers are needing to run processes and solve puzzles and, in effect, create value for cryptocurrency. Now, naturally, running all those computers, especially at scale, is going to use a lot of energy. So by nature, Bitcoin mining is extremely energy intensive. And right now it relies on cheap energy sources. Bitcoin, um, in some recent studies, uh, it's estimated that it consumes 150 terawatt hours of electricity annually, which is more than the entire country of Argentina. Uh, And it emits some 65 megatons of CO2 into the atmosphere annually. I'm wondering if y'all can briefly explain then, again, why so much energy is needed to power 
cryptocurrency mining operations and to run proof of work consensus mechanisms. And uh, if you could also explain how that power is sourced and uh, utilized. Yeah, I, I think Bitcoin mines come in all shapes and sizes. Like we talked about before, back in uh, early adoption phases of Bitcoin, the halving was so great that, you know, people were mining Bitcoin in the garages with their old, you know, home PC. But now we're seeing a huge influx of commercialization. So whenever we're talking about this, I, I'm assuming we're talking about the top of line commercial warehouses, like the ones we see in Rockdale or any of the other 10 large scale ones that are lined up to come to Texas. Uh, one that I've read upon previously was the Helios facility that's just outside of Lubbock. That plans to have 50,000 servers uh, executing nearly four quintillion calculations. Uh, so that's four billion billions, billion, okay, that's four billion billions every second. So with these ASICs going as fast as they can, they get hot, like really hot. So the ASIC seat has to be controlled to prevent it from shutting down and sometimes even catching fire. So these companies are trying to find the best ways they can to keep their servers cool to permanently run them like stadium grade HVAC systems or even keeping servers in dielectric fluid tanks. And how those work is they capture the heat um, from the computers and they pump that hot fluid outside into a cooling system and they pump back in cool fluid back into the tank. And for how long the power is sourced and utilized, the Bitcoin Mining Council's Q1 data for 2022 came out and claimed that roughly 58.4% of Bitcoin mining is powered by renewable energy. This percentage is mainly driven by Bitcoin miners' thirst for the cheapest energy they can find. And they're willing to go anywhere for cheap energy. Like we see uh, the Helios was built on a former cow pasture in the middle of West Texas near a massive wind farm or near a hydroelectric dam that only has a few towns um, that are currently able to consume its massive daily energy output. So yeah, they take a lot of energy, but I think because Bitcoin mines are run like a business, they're trying to find kind of more unique, uh, renewable outlets to source that energy. You know, I got to localize a little bit here too. Um, I'm recording this from Dallas, Texas, and we're actually seeing Texas become an incredibly attractive market for Bitcoin miners. You know, cryptocurrency's thirst for energy continues to grow because of, you know, even with the instability, a consistent amount of optimism and vision for how the blockchain, even more generally, but just cryptocurrencies uh, can disrupt and provide a lot of financial liberty for individuals, for companies, and even whole nations, right? So with that comes more mining operations, and with that comes a race to build larger facilities to cash in on this proverbial 21st century gold rush, right? So what would you say is making Texas an attractive market for Bitcoin miners? I'll throw in even more timely news. Uh, I'm sure folks saw that recently Fort Worth, uh, which is our sister city here in Dallas, um, Fort Worth was the first city to invest in its own public Bitcoin mining infrastructure in the United States, which was a major milestone in validating uh, proof of work consensus mechanisms and just cryptocurrencies in general, uh, you know, to get that kind of buy-in from a municipality. So again, what would you all say is making Texas such an attractive market for the Bitcoin miners compared to, you know, say China, right? Which um, as of recently, maybe a year or so ago, uh, they were the leader in Bitcoin mining. Uh, so 
give us your perspectives. I was going to say uh, probably the, the main draw, at least it, it used to be, is when uh, the fracking was kind of blowing. There was an excess amount of natural gas in the system, so much so that uh, companies weren't actually able to flare at all. Uh, flaring is basically just when you're burning off the excess. Um, there's there was no place for it. Um, they would do what they could, you know, uh, try to get uh, government to get them or or to ease up on on any of the restrictions that they had. But all in all, there was just a lot of gas coming out of the ground. Well, the mining companies caught wind of this as basically, hey, this is you know, technically free for the most part because uh, they're just burning it off anyway. So a couple of guys and started a uh, said, hey, why don't we move out to, to the Permian Basin and take a take a look at what's out there, work some deals and got some uh, pipeline in space uh, pipeline in place to to basically run it directly uh, to their their portable mining facility. And I think that's kind of what we've been seeing. And, you know, as, as soon as we start, as soon as the environment gets to a point where we can actually start uh, drilling again or uh, continue drilling or kind of open up things, uh, I think at that point we'll see a, a lot more or, or there'll be definitely be a, a bigger push towards Texas. And then, you know, that may or may not be a good thing at some point. Uh, the grid is getting a little congested <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned uh, China. So China used to dominate Bitcoin mining with something like 75% of the world's Bitcoin miners at its peak. But China, China's government announced that it would kind of cut off all power to miners due to concerns that it was undermining its climate reduction goals because they were mostly just burning coal to power these mines. So after that, uh, we saw the search begin for the best places to create crypto mines. And I think many landed in Texas, like Ryan said, for our quote unquote Goldilocks situation. I think that there are three main reasons, which would be the state uh, energy infrastructure, which is ERCOT allows for access to cheap power from this deregulated power market. It's growing energy source for renewables, particularly wind energy in West Texas. And then also it's supportive policy being backed by current policymakers. You know, we've got tweets out from Governor Abbott talking about Texas is the place to be. And uh, Ted Cruz, a senator, has openly said multiple times about his, his belief in cryptocurrency within the state and it being uh, new power in that uh, industry. So there's, there's a lot of pros for people whenever they're choosing places to land. And I think, yeah, we're seeing a lot of big companies choose Texas for the reasons we just said. I'm sure our audience is asking, uh, what kind of power is uh, being used to fuel, pun intended, uh, the growing Bitcoin mining side of the cryptocurrency industry? We mentioned it already. Bitcoin right now, its uh, mining relies on cheap energy sources. Uh, and crypto miners use a variety of power sources for their mining operations. That includes hydroelectric, natural gas, coal, wind, oil, solar, nuclear. There are even some geothermal uh, Bitcoin mining operations out there. So let's connect the dots team. What do you think the relationship between oil and gas producers and crypto miners is both in the short term and the long term? Uh, and do you find that you know a relationship there is sustainable, right? Should oil and gas producers be seeking to support this industry 
or you know, is there a focus on clean energy, green energy, right? And maybe transitioning away from oil and gas, impacting some of the potential relationships to be made um, with that industry. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I believe that the relationship between oil and gas producers and crypto miners is currently mutually beneficial. You know, for each mining operation, the energy source is the biggest question to me. Um, if the situation is a win-win, then I believe those relationships will always be positive and beneficial. Um, for instance, I kind of firmly believe that using natural gas flaring as an energy source for Bitcoin mining is a win-win for all players involved. You know, we're seeing large corporations like ExxonMobil working with a mining company up in the North Dakota region to power some uh, mobile generators that are using, obviously, natural gas to run Bitcoin mining servers. There are also some more local players uh, like Giga Energy, which was started by some former classmates of mine at Texas A&M who run a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company that, you know, builds, operates, and sells these boxes of portable facilities. So they, those guys started out using gas flares on some family land just to have a little proof of concept to see if it worked. And now they can manufacture these compact data centers for not only on-grid, but off-grid use flare. And I think that off-grid use flare is a really interesting point where we're seeing flared gas that has no opportunity to get pumped in. I think those relationships will always be beneficial as long as it's profitable for Bitcoin mining companies to be out there. However, I, I think me and Ryan can agree. I'm not too sure how I feel about Bitcoin mines just being plugged into uh, the energy grid and sucking up some six gigawatts of energy around the clock. Uh, so Ryan, if you want to talk a little bit about the, the grid. I think the relationship that the miners are going to have with, with the energy companies or the fuels, um, it's, it's required. It's going to be necessary. Um, the thing you don't get with the renewables is certainty, right? The, the wind blows when it blows and the sun's shining or it's, you know, it's dark, it might be cloudy. You just don't get the consistency you would from, you know, natural gas. You're basically flipping on a switch and uh, generation turns on. So you're, you're up and running. So you, you really can't escape that. Now, there's always going to be some mix, right? You'll have, you know, 20% renewables, you'll have 5% coal, a uh, big proportion of natural gas. But whatever wherever you're located at, they're going to have some mix of energy. Uh, at some point, you're going to be connected to the grid as well. And, you know, if they're not already, you know, in some way, they, they all have to be, you know, the the miners moving into Texas trying to, you know, tap into this natural gas, this excess gas, that was kind of a new thing, right? Kind of trying to be innovative, look for uh, the cheaper input cost. But once all these miners, say, for instance, they all moved, to, you know, they do move to Texas or a majority of them do, you know, we're at a point now where we're kind of supply meets demand and we're at, at the peak. Uh, so anything in Texas is, you know, especially during the summer months, it's really going to be an issue. Um, we're already starting to see some some blackouts. We're seeing huge prices. Um, you know, residential, your normal bill, those are going up, and they're looking um, looking pretty bad. Neighborhood recently, we had a lot of people asking me questions about that, uh, like I did it or something. But um, but you know, the the renewable piece of it, everyone wants to go green. You know, obviously, it's it's a better way to go. Um, I just don't know that it's scalable. There's a lot of lot of issues with trying to be 100% green because of that intermittent energy flow. So, at some point, the miners 
would like to do that. But right now, I think it's still going to be everyone's going to be tied to fossil fuels, at least until we have some new technology, kind of the, the next best thing to either either batteries, large scale batteries that are scalable to act like they're a utility to an extent. Or you know everyone's going to be forced to have one for their for their you know for the residents. Uh, you'll you'll have to see what the the latest and greatest is. But right now you're just not going to escape it, no matter you know how much you want to cry foul over over fossil fuels. Yeah, to, to give a little bit more insight to to the listeners, if we look back a couple of weeks ago on July 11th, ERCOT released statements basically begging residents to you know crank their AC up to 78 and hold off on doing anything that required power for the entire day, just because Texas was so hot and the grid, like you said, was at its absolute maximum. Uh, ERCOT's forecasted demand that day was 79,671 megawatts with 80,083 dispatchable or available megawatts. So I left ERCOT with a measly 412 uh, dispatchable megawatts as wiggle room or if you look at that, that's 0.005% of their total dispatchable uh, megawatts able to give out. So Texas can already barely handle a hot summer day as it is now, not including the 10 plus Bitcoin mines that are expected to come online in the near future plugged into the grid. So uh, the current argument that people are saying is that, oh, Bitcoin mines will simply kind of flip off the switch when it's no longer economic to keep mining with the prices. But that's also whenever Bitcoin is at $22,000, right? So I can't imagine everyone that's in the Bitcoin space obviously thinks it's going to go up or else they wouldn't be in the space. But what happens whenever Bitcoin goes up to $100,000? Does that megawatt price just keep going up uh, and keep rising until it hits a number where literally no Texan can afford it and no Texan home wants to pay to keep their AC cold because the Bitcoin mines are running up the price? Um, it's just it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how Texas legislature, maybe ERCOT, handles the big influx, influx of commercial-grade Bitcoin mines coming in. Yeah, that's why I, I think there's going to have to be some um, – it'll either happen naturally or, like I said, at some point, um, the government will step in. Uh, but you know, what I would actually like to see now is a lot of these miners kind of proactively go out and structure contracts specifically, uh, at least for a portion of what their demand is, uh, they can go in and lock in a good price or get some optionality into it where, you know, at, at a certain point, the utility has the right to to shut off power to that mining facility. And I think at, at that point, you're kind of, you know, right hand shaking the left, right? So now now we can actually help the, the ISO with their demand problems. So, you know, ERCOT's seeing these, you know, very tight days. Now they have another switch, so to speak, that they can actually say, okay, well, miners are going to, you're getting cut off at, you know, this particular point. But for the miners, though, they should also be receiving some kind of compensation for that. You're giving away that right. You're giving away your option. They should be paid for that as well. So, you know, a combination of either cash or either discounted prices when there's excess energy on the grid, which there will be, uh, especially the more renewable we get, there's going to be energy that needs to come off the system. Um, you know, too much energy is just as bad as not enough, right? The, the, the grid's going to fail at some point. You just can't have prolonged periods of excess electricity just kind of just sitting there. So if they're active with some of these contracts and get them structured the right way, it, it could be very beneficial for, for both 
ERCOT, for example, and the miners. So hopefully we can see them start going moving in that direction. So would that look like kind of a contractual floor and ceiling, Ryan, in a, in a dream scenario? It could be. Uh, you can structure it quite a few different ways. You know, and since it's kind of volumetric, so to speak, or on the quantity, the the I think the difference with the miners are, is, you know, they're the buyer of last resort. They they want the energy, and and if you can give them a a deal when there's excess capacity, not only are we going to give you the electricity, but we're going to give it to you at a discounted price. So if there's excess capacity already, it'll be cheaper than normal. Plus, as part of this contract, you always get a certain either percentage of price or fixed discount or however you want to structure that. But part of that is going to be what a theoretical premium would have been for entering into this contract, right? Because I'm giving something up, I should be compensated for that. And so by structuring all of this into, you know, I would do a long-term contract like 10 years, um, you know, it, it, you can always scale those, right? I'm going to do X amount percentage now, scale it up. And the fact that you know quite a bit about, you'll never know, you know, is it is it worth mining today or not, right? Did, Technology is going to change, but longer-term contracts give you some flexibility. Um, and then, generally now, you know, overall prices should be going up long-term unless we get, you know, for some reason, a lot more capacity. The grid expands a lot more generation. It, you know, going into just just because you're going into renewables, there needs to be excess capacity because of all the intermittents. Otherwise, you're just not going to meet everyday demand. So it would be hard to go 100%. I, I, right now, I don't think it's feasible to go 100% green or 100% renewable. But if technology changes, you could do that. But I think in the short term, you have to have to kind of, you know, think outside the box a bit. And I believe these these types of contracts, if structured properly, I think that kind of gives you what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I think we talked a little bit about that you know, how we kind of said it's it's a unique relationship that's beneficial to everyone. So it's kind of a virtual storage solution that can handle that influx of too much energy and also be able to legitimately flip the switch and be able to turn off to let the Texas homes and hospitals and whoever else is needing the energy that day to be able to handle it and trying to find that happy medium with all of the players involved will be definitely interesting to see. Yeah, I think this is if you conceptually it's basically like the batteries. If you have a one big battery where you know people could draw on when they needed it, and then if you don't need it, you're kind of charging, if you will. Um, it's the same concept, right? At some point, technology will be there, and we'll be able to do that. You know, there's obviously a lot of a lot of people are working on that problem right now. It's just not there yet. So, in the interim, this kind of gets you there, or at least part of the way there. Not nearly as good. <laughs> but uh, it should be beneficial for both. And um, and at least it's something at this point. All right, Ryan Cooper, great conversation for our audience. Uh, I'd like to toss y'all one more key question here. Uh, but as Bitcoin mining increasingly comes under fire, right, for its growing energy use, we saw uh, legislation in Europe, actually, um, really start to move the needle on this with Mika uh, as they basically called out that within the next several years, crypto mining in general needs to prove itself as being 
uh, energy conscious, right? Uh, it seems like the phenomenon may be approaching a tipping point where in order to prove to the world that it's a true game changer, crypto will need to uh, come clean or go green, right? Uh, so with increasing pressure from ESG standards, from headlines, right, from industry organizations, and from industry critics. Could crypto miners in Texas or anywhere else become a leader in the transition to sustainable energy sources, right? Do you see this industry having the opportunity to play that kind of leading role? Why or why not? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a this or that scenario currently, uh, especially in Texas or the United States. But from my current understanding of, you know, my econ 101 and 102 courses and this industry, the Bitcoin miners are just trying to run a profitable business for them. You know, their business is just happening to find the cheapest electricity they can to power its servers that are just trying to find blocks of Bitcoin. So they're willing to do it, like I said, in a cow pasture outside Lubbock in an old aluminum factory in New York or in the middle of the woods next to a natural gas flare. And as long as it's profitable, I believe it will be done. In regards to ESG, I think that kind of what we've talked about before where they're taking that flared gas, clearly that's a win for the environmental or the ESG side because um, it's going from, you know, just burning it off into the air until actually being able to capture that formerly perceived useless energy. But I think the current path of least resistance and something that crypto mines have an advantage on that almost no other industry does have is that its ability to find really obscure energy sources and capturing it that would be otherwise be completely wasted or quote unquote worthless, right? If there's a bunch of natural gas in the middle of Siberia that no one wants to build a pipe to, but you can drive out a truck one time and drop a couple off-grid energy or uh, Bitcoin mines and be able to capture that energy, who's a hurting, right? It, it's definitely helping. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see any crypto mines in the middle of downtown areas and sucking up the most expensive energy either. So they've, they've got a big advantage, competitive advantage in that way. Uh, but for crypto miners in Texas becoming the leader in ESG, I don't know. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have to see and we'll see what the technology can do. Yeah, I think the, I think the crypto miners could actually push this, you know, the green energy, the renewables, just because you know, they can do things other people can't, you know, it's, they don't need the electricity to live on to survive, they need it to profit, right? So they're going to be as efficient as possible, as innovative as possible. They'll be looking to this solution, probably more so than anyone else, because it is their business. But because they can do these things and, and, and turn on and off electricity, I mean, they can actually, you know, through these structured products, we're, we're talking about, you know, through the virtual Storage, or you know, getting these structured in these beneficial ways, they really could push you know the renewables a lot more uh, because there would be the ones, and honestly, it's to it's to the miners, it's to their it's their advantage if they if they do it right. It's the more renewables are online, the, the larger percentage of, of your mix, your overall capacity is renewables, the more they're going to be needed. Right. You're going to need someone to take off the electricity when, you know, it's there's just certain times it's going to be you'll have too much energy and certain times you won't have enough. So the more that occurs, the more people or, you know, if you want to, uh, municipalities are going to want to have crypto miners in their in their area. Right. You know, 
hey, we're going green, look at all these renewables. Hey, crypto miners, we really need you because we need to help help managing this. So I, I can see it being a win-win in that way as well. So yeah, you're saying it's a win-win as that kind of intermittent uh, storage solution before we have a true battery or any other type of energy storage for a municipality. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, I, you know, at some point, you know, I really feel like the miners are going to be the ones who are going to be, at least, I don't know if it's going to be through research development, but in some way, somehow, they're going to be the ones that kind of push the battery technology. You know, it's just beneficial to everyone. And I think just we see, you know, a lot more innovation coming out of usually the the tech side of things. And obviously, these guys are, are pretty smart <laughs> dealing with this from uh, and coming up with these uh, these solutions that they've come up with for, for the, the cheap energy, as we've seen. Uh, you know, I just feel like that's going to be a, a good source, if nothing else, to help energy efficiency as we move down the road. And I think with the kind of energy behind Bitcoin still, you know, even the bad press, right, which you know the saying, even bad press is good press. You know, even if people continue to critique the energy spend or continue to critique the instability of the market, I think there is enough uh, investment, there's enough high profile energy, and there are enough use cases for DeFi to keep validating it and for it to be um, not an industry that creates more problems than solves them, uh, right? But rather acts as a catalyst for a lot of important transformations that the world's already going through uh, and in fact can lead on being the industry that really materialized and synthesized those changes, right? Uh, and those transitions and made them more achievable. As we close, I want to rethink our two guests. Again, folks, we heard from Ryan Dushek. He's a director at Opportune and Cooper Ligon, a consultant at Opportune. Uh, Ryan, Cooper, how can folks get a hold of you, ask you some questions or learn a little bit more about some of your research on this topic once they wrap up the episode? So the easiest way is just to go to our website, opportune.com. Um, the articles that we're, we're talking about, they'll be uh, referenced there. Our information will be on there as well. That's your Cooper. You have any, uh, any better places you on Twitter or anything? <laughs> no, I'm certainly not sharing my thought leadership on Twitter, but I do try to keep a pretty up-to-date LinkedIn. Um, so it's all up there as well. Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best place to go. I agree. Perfect. Well, then in that case, I think we're all done. So Ryan, Cooper, thank you so much to the two of you for your perspectives. It's been a pleasure getting to inform our audience and give them uh, some analysis and dot connecting between the larger energy industry and the growing cryptocurrency and crypto mining industries. Again, folks, we've been chatting with Ryan Dushek and Cooper Ligon, and you've been listening to an episode of E2B, Energy to Business, an opportune podcast. If you like what you heard and you want previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You won't miss any future drops when you hit that subscribe button and turn on your notifications. You can also find more information about our two guests, about our work, uh, about this topic, and that article that I mentioned, Why Renewable Energy Can't Survive Without Bitcoin, all on our website, opportune.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of E2B. E2B.